When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Game of Thrones 2 Electric Boogaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. This week we will have back Chad Carmichael, professor of philosophy, to discuss Ned's second point of view chapter. And Steve and I will talk about episode three of season two, What is Dead May Never Die. Without further ado, here is Boss Man Aaron. Ask Aaron anything! Aaron, next question is from Jane. Uh, Aaron, we know that Ned loved his sister a lot, but don't you think he's also kind of mad at her? Assuming that the show's version of events is canon, Lyanna ran away with the crown prince, inciting not only war, but her father and brother's truly horrible deaths. Not to mention Ned's promise to Lyanna on her deathbed puts a huge strain on his marriage. For the sake of being overly dramatic, is Lyanna Stark the true villain? <laughs> I mean, this is something I've given a lot of thought out, uh, thought to. So, like, the timeline is uh, Lyanna falls in love with Rhaegar, uh, uh, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Then, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess because of the times uh, allowed people to think that uh, Rhaegar had come and, like, you know, ravished her and, and carried her off as spoil. Right. Uh, Ned's father and brother goes to the capital to kind of be like, what the fuck? This woman's betrothed to another man. You can't just do this. And he, he roasted him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what was going on in her mind that was allowing the kingdom to be plunged into blood over this misunderstanding. I don't know what would happen if like she would, you know, her and Rhaegar would make a joint statement saying, mm-hmm. actually we're very much in love. We're just jilt. I'm jilting the person I was betrothed to. And I am leaving my wife, uh, because we're trying to fulfill this prophecy and we're madly in love. And we think that we're jonquil and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know because, like, yeah, she might. I don't. It, it, that sounds very villainous, but she's kind of like, like, like who would care? Like, right? You know, they they hadn't. They they the, the narrative that got out is the narrative that everybody's raising banners. Like, would Robert Baratheon be like, oh, oh, sorry, I I thought we were going to get married. Oh, <laughs> guess not. And would would yeah. you know? Would the Mad King be cool with the slight against his family, especially since he's the Mad King? Uh, and once once Ned Stark's dad gets burnt, it's like bare well, time, that's, right? I'm glad you brought that up because I don't know if anything changes because if, let's say, Robert knew the whole story and he knew that Lyanna was really in love with Rhaegar. Right. He might tell himself the same lie. Yeah. 
Because he's not the kind of guy that takes no for an answer. Right. And he probably wants to go to war and smash some dudes, you know, cave some chests in. And I mean I mean there's a possibility that he does he he has an inclin has an inclination. But I don't know if he acts any differently if he knows the truth. Well, I, I think I think about that scene, The Godfather, um, where that movie producer was talking about why he was blackballing, you know, the the Godfather's godson, right? You remember Johnny the scene? Fontaine? Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, and uh, pardon me, I'm going to use some archaic slurs against Italians, but it's okay. My co-host is an Italian. I think I think both of them actually are. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's like he, he didn't. He it wasn't like uh, yeah. I had this. I put a lot of money in this th- this protege, um, and she broke out because you know it's a free country and people can can do that and you can't enslave yeah. people. And you know, them's the breaks. No, it was like this guy came in with his olive oil voice and his Guinea charm, and he stole. <laughs> you know, it's like you can see Bobby like this. Rhaegar came in with his silver hair yeah. and his fucking fucking harp. And and he's and source, you know, those Targaryens do black magic and it would just yeah. I, I think I, I don't know what anyone could say to make the gross violation of, you know, selling off you know, like selling Robert's women's hands in marriage that and, can be made to look ridiculous, is what you're saying. No. No, he is not. He's the type of guy to cut off your horse's head with his warhammer, I guess, right. and throw it in your bed. That's right. That's right. All right. So I, I like that question, Jane. Thank you for that. All right. Next question, Aaron. This is for me. This, which is the better action figure, Snake Ooh. Eyes or Storm Shadow? Uh, Snake Eyes, because black is an inherently cooler car- uh, color <laughs> than pure white. <laughs> Stormshadow's a ninja, man. He's a ninja, and he can... Look, Snake Eyes, I feel like Snake Eyes... We project a lot of ourselves onto Snake Eyes because he doesn't talk, so he's this avatar. That's true. He is kind of Keanu Reeves type, right? Um, are you actually... Wait, I thought I thought Snake Eyes also was a ninja canonically. I, I think that it does... <laughs> I think that maybe that is revealed later. Like yeah, I think that like what isn't him and like Storm Shadow actually brothers and they like belong to the same like I my GI Joe lore is a little shaky but uh, I don't know I'm I'm on his I'm on his character page subgroups Ninja Force Shadow Ninjas uh, specialty uh, okay as 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 of his character card on the on the packaging Ninja is his specialty uh, Ninja Commando. Uh, and I, he's, I, you he's really also, turned me around on this one. He's I, also at least deaf and right. So like, I'm also going. You know, the stapled guy versus the fully abled. Yeah, snake eyes. Fucking snake eyes. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. I did three right turns here. You, you got me. <laughs> Clearly, snake eyes is the better, the better action uh, figure. <laughs> right. Right. If you have a question for Aaron or Anthony, you can send those to book at baldmove.com. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. We need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
Chad, today we are covering Eddard Stark's second point of view chapter. I'm the Ned guy, right? The, this makes me the Ned you're guy. You're the Ned guy. I mean, really, it's hard to find people that really appreciate Ned and don't just want to crap all over him, um, yeah. which I can do with the best of them, man. I'll crap all over Ned. <laughs> but, yeah, I love Ned. But it is nice to have you on because of your affection for Ned. He's a, he's such an important character yeah. uh, for this first book. And also after just his ghost hangs over, looms large over all of these Winterfell children. Sure. I will say I did feel frustrated with Ned in this chapter. Uh, and, that, you know, we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, but frust- maybe not frustrated, but sort of puzzled by him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me do a synopsis of the chapter and we're, okay. we'll round back to that point. Camped along the King's Road, Ned is woken early by Robert's desire to ride and talk about matters of tavern wenches and Targaryens. They ride out to a burial site away from the ears of the company, and they argue. After Ned refuses to talk about John's supposed mother, Robert relents and gets down to business. According to a bit of spycraft, Robert has learned that Daenerys Targaryen has married a Dothraki horse lord. Robert wants her dead but Ned thinks that killing children is murder. This revives an even older argument between them. The two talk about the battle at the Trident and the sacking of King's Landing. Ned finally tells Robert that Jaime was found sitting on the Iron Throne with lion banners flying above the city. To Ned's mind, King's Landing was taken by treachery without honor, and he's kept this from Robert for many years. Robert tells Ned now of Jamie's sin with the hope that Ned will change his mind about offering Jamie Warden of the East. Robert laughs it off, and Ned laments his decision to leave Winterfell. Would you agree with that synopsis, Chad? Oh, it was beautiful. Thank you. I mean, yeah. I work a lot really of these nicely... synopses. Yeah, it's really nice. I mean, I, I sort of have my own notes here, and <laughs> I mean, your synopsis is way better than mine. Well, it's, I mean,. This is what I do, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be a scholar. Now I just uh, do this certain thing. I see. <laughs> I didn't take this all very seriously. Um, now that you're a full professor, you can get oh, yeah, to I, really care for sure. about Let me ask you a question related to that. There is a temp- There was a temptation in me when I got full professor that I was just thinking, now I will never read student evaluations ever again. <laughs> Like just deep down, there's just little, just little twinge of selfishness. Yeah, has that ever crossed your mind? Well, um, you know, I I get pretty good evaluations, and, and you like the strokes. I mean, it's I wouldn't say I like them, but I think it's not like an ordeal when they come in. I don't, I don't think, Oh, I better not look or it'll make me feel bad or something uh-huh. like that. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've actually been surprised in a way because sometimes, you know, a class won't go that well from my perspective. And I'll think, yeah, this is, this will be the one that's kind of a, kind of a, a, a cratering of my numbers mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And then, and it's typically, it hasn't been the case. So, uh, so I, I don't, I don't know. I, I definitely don't care very much about, about that stuff. I try. I try. I don't think it's good for a professor to care a lot about that. Um, yeah, it's probably not. I think in general, being overly concerned about criticism is not a great way to live your life. Right. Um, right. 
And especially from something like a student where you really, you know, sometimes what's best for a student is for you to be critical, for you to be hard on them, for you to challenge them. They don't like that. Push them. And they may or may not like yeah. it. If you're real worried about what they like, then you're probably not going to push them the way you should. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you know who doesn't care about his student evaluations? Robert yeah. Baratheon. <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> Robert does not care. I mean, okay, let me ask you this question. Does Robert want to be king? I get the sense he does not want to be king. Right, he doesn't. He fantasizes about leaving. Yeah. And in fact, read, reading this chapter, I, you know, paused to, to contemplate, like, why doesn't he just abscond from, from his duties? I mean, why doesn't he... he He's fantasizing about riding off and just having new adventures. Why doesn't he just go do it? Even if Ned won't join him, why doesn't he do it? And I, I think I found the answer. I think he says that he would do that, but he's worried that it would mean Joffrey becoming king with Cersei whispering in his ear. And he feels uh -oh. like that would be a disaster for the realm. And so there is this, like Robert's not a very dutiful guy. But I think, you know, it doesn't take a genius to see that that's, that's beyond just a failure of duty. Like, that's a disaster. And it could be that Robert knows that Joffrey will be a bad king, but his criteria are maybe different than other people's. Like, I think maybe Robert's thinking, this kid's like a, a little weakling. This, no, he, I think... he's, he's too much of a boy to be king. And you, you really need no. someone as, as big and strong as I am to be king. I disagree. Right. I think he doesn't know his son very well. And what he does know about him is that he does really weird stuff like cut cats open. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> yeah. And I and I think he I think he genuinely hates Cersei. I think mean, he just hates her. He hates Cersei. He sees too much of Cersei in the boy, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Let me reframe what I was saying. I think that if he saw more of himself in Joffrey. Right. He would be like, and and by himself, maybe not great attributes for being a king. Like, let's say he was just, you know, he was just all about like the craft of the melee, and he right. he swung a hammer, and then he, you know, went to the brothel afterwards, and yeah, right, you know, kind of a narcissistic warrior. Type. Yeah, l laughed with a you know hearty glee, uh, you know, a, a warrior poet kind of guy, you know, that kind of thing. That doesn't necessarily make a great king, but but Robert would like get along with him better. He'd be like, "Yeah, that's right. my drinking buddy. He should be king next." Well, jo Joffrey's disturbing, and Robert, for all of his faults, is not a disturbing man. I mean, he's he's sort of uh, he, like I say, he has faults, but but they're not like cutting cats open kind of faults, right? No, but he has. I, okay, so I was going to say this about Robert. I was going to say Robert's appetites have plunged the kingdom into near chaos. And he doesn't That's know true. it because the kingdom has been at peace for 14 years, right? See, but there too, it's kind of relatable. Like the guy likes parties. He likes big events. he's He likes to spend money and have fun. There's nothing like monstrous about it. Okay, that. yes, it's however- we can all relate all right, to. All right, let's, right. Say, <laughs> let's say you're Robert and you like to have parties and you're gonna, right. it's gonna cost a lot of money to have these parties, but damn it, it's the only it's the only thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. <laughs> right? Because you hate everything else about being king. Right. But in order to have parties, 
you have to take you're you're deeply in debt and you've got to take money from your wife's father. Yeah. Who is just Machiavellian. Right. And who's about to get his claws on Warden of the West and Warden of the East and have his daughter sitting, you know, next to his grandson on the Iron Throne. Like this, like Tywin is just like, just right at the door, right about to turn the knob before he takes over the whole throne room. And Robert, Robert is just like, yeah, sure, we're we're deep in debt to that guy. Let's have another party. Well, Robert's a fool, right? We've said this before. He's a fool, and he does not like to look ahead. He does not like to strategize. He just deals with what's right in front of him, and he's foolish. Well, but again, okay, he he will strategize. Not, he will strategize yeah. about the Targaryens, and it's like he's narrowly focused. Like it's the yeah, one thing yeah. that will like distract him from the partying is his deep seated desire for revenge. Mm -hmm. And that's like, he'll really get in his, you know, his feelings about that. Guest choice. Is there anything specific that you want to talk about? You're not going to ask me if I want to climb the ladder of chaos. I think that we need to retire the ladder of chaos. I like the ladder of chaos. I don't want to retire it. <laughs> or Chad, would I, you like to climb the ladder of chaos? I demand that we climb the ladder of chaos. <laughs> you demand trial by chaos. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So here's uh, yeah, what do you want to talk? Let about? me throw let me throw something out there. Uh, Ned's unfaithfulness comes up. Robert is trying to remember the the woman's name. Uh, the the name of the woman that Ned ap apparently slept with, yeah, 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 uh, and it's this it's this woman Willa, and Ned just clams up and doesn't want to talk about it. Uh -huh. Um, now at the end of that, he sort of says, "Robert, I'd rather not talk about it. Years ago, I dishonored myself, and I dishonored uh, Catelyn. You know, my yeah, my wife, sure. Catelyn. Yeah." Um, do you think that's a lie or do you think that, I mean, he's not very specific when he says he dishonored himself. Huh? Um, do you, uh, do you think he feels that he behaved dishonorably then or that he's just lying there? I think he's lying. And I was going to ask you is, is Ned a good liar? Yeah, I think he's been a pretty good liar. I mean, these are some pretty big secrets that he's kept at great. How do you how do you see it? Because I see that he's just lying. He didn't really dishonor himself. I mean, I don't Willa. know. I feel I feel like it's it's really an open question. Exactly what the details were around, uh, you know, the death of his sister. I, I think that that could play out in the details. That could play out in a variety of different huh. ways. I, I expect that, you know, the details won't be beholden to the show. Um, I, I myself don't know how the show even depicted all that. Yeah. Um, but it's it, when you read about it, it's pretty confusing. I mean, Ned here says, at least implies that that he was with this woman, Willa, mm -hmm. but I think there's another name of another woman yeah. that's rumored to have been his mistress. Yeah, there are rumors circulating now, yeah. okay, so here's here's an idea. And this other woman, the, uh, the the other woman named by a different rumor, 
like killed herself around that time, right? Threw herself from a tower. I forget her name. Yeah, wasn't it a Dane? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right, we'll have to. And so maybe you know maybe that was about Rhaegar in some way, or maybe it was about who knows? Who knows? But... Who really knows? Okay, let let's imagine that this is <laughs> in an alternate universe. Let's imagine that this is Tyrion rather yeah. than Ned. Mm-hmm. And Lyanna makes Tyrion promise, like, you got to keep this baby alive, save my son or whatever. Well, there's no doubt in my mind that Tyrion would make up a lie that would keep the boy alive. But yeah. he absolutely is having sex with Willa. <laughs> yeah, he's going to go true. find a good alibi. And he's going to sure. he's going to find and And so the question is, is Ned the type of guy who thinks in order for this lie to succeed... Uh huh. Yeah, I need to make this whole thing believable by dishonoring myself with Willa. Interesting. Now, I don't feel like that's in Ned's character to do that. But then the lie is not in Ned's character either. Right. There's no question in my mind what Tyrion would do. I don't know what Ned would do. So I, I think we don't know. But here's an observation. Later on, this uh, this young man Edric tells Arya that he was, what does he call it? John's, he was Jon Snow's nursing brother or something. I forget what the exact word is that he uses. But in other words, that he had been nursed by this woman, Willa, and so had John. So if you believe that, right, okay. then Ned at least gave the baby, John, to Willa to nurse. And maybe that was enough to get the, the rumors, to give the rumors a kind of So Ned, by this theory, Ned found a woman who had recently given birth. So she was able to nurse his, you know, his nephew, basically. I don't know if she had given birth or if she was just a, a like a, a wet nurse. Uh, uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure. Uh, like, I don't think she's Edric's mother. But that would be enough for that rumor to get started. And of course, Ned has chosen that particular lie to tell Robert. And it's the kind of lie that Robert would be okay to hear. What Robert really wants, he just wants Ned to be more like Robert. Yeah, right. This idea that at least there was that one time that the Honorable Ned Stark acted like a regular guy, just like me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he, you know, that's really what he really wants to share with him. He doesn't really, he doesn't really care who he really is. Right. He has this sort of romantic notion of, you know, being a hedge knight along the road and kicking some ass and then going to a brothel right. with Ned. And of course that's not, that's never been who Ned was. And he knows right. that about Ned. Right. And he's disappointed. About he's disappointed. Right? He but but about... Ned kind of knows that like, all right, if I tell this lie about Willa, Mm-hmm. Robert will want to believe this lie because he want I know he wants me to be this guy. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty it's pretty crafty, pretty 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 sly. Unless there really was a Willa, unless there, you know, unless he really had a thing going with Willa. I mean, I suspect he didn't, but it's hard to say. Sure. No one wants uh, no woman wants Baylor the Blessed in her bed. <laughs> <obviously. laughs> I don't presume to know what women want, Chad. Yeah, I think I think Robert's probably wrong about that, at least in this particular case. Catelyn seems pretty upset about the whole affair. <laughs> I think Ned's 
constantly put into impossible situations. Mm-hmm. And one decision is going to make things bad, and one's going to make things worse. And right, that, that's my that's my sense of these early chapters, anyway. Yeah. Well, what what frustrated me about Ned in this chapter is just a real sense that he has kind of flashes of moral insight. Like, for example, he, he's a rare character that that has a modern idea about like you shouldn't murder children. <laughs> yeah. Know? Um, and, and so, you know, you, you find this point of connection with him where it's like, yeah, you know, I agree with that. I think people shouldn't murder children. And, and, and so you feel a little connected with Ned there because everybody else seems like some uh-huh. sort of, um, almost like they have just moral blindness or something. But then, uh, what, what, ends, so you sort of expect Ned to behave or to, to conduct himself in a way that, that will be morally admirable, but then, he makes a big deal about stuff you don't care at all about and ignores stuff or lets stuff pass that you think is a huge deal uh, f- from a moral perspective. So it's just, it, it's a little confusing. Right. I think that Ned, okay, so I think that there is a very old concept, and I think that this maybe goes back to sort of this notion of chivalry or something. Um, but even before that, you know, Hebrew prophets and whatnot, you know, this idea that, you know, do justice, protect the innocent. Mm-hmm. And who are the innocent? Well, probably like people that are like orphans and widows, people who are just totally powerless. Those are mm-hmm. the people that need protecting by the system. And yet there's, you know, why why do you need those laws in the first place? Well, you need those laws because, you know, human nature is that... Uh, those those are the people that get exploited, and Ned Ned really takes all of this seriously. Ned Ned is like, look, let's act with you know justice. Let's do let's do justice as best we can, which is kind of morally gray. But the one yeah. place that it's not morally gray is when you, if you get children involved into this dirty business of war. You don't do that. That is right. beyond the pale. I'm not going to kill children. That's like his red line that he won't cross. And I think that then, I think he's he allows then, himself to be morally gray in other places, but ki- the killing of children is is his line in the sand. But but he's very eager to execute a guy for some petty corruption. Well, but are the children involved in that? No. Okay. So admittedly, okay, but so that's my point. Example. My point is that Ned will play politics and is willing to be morally gray with his politics at times. It's distasteful to him, but he's willing to do it. He's willing to see yeah. the, the world for the complexity that it, it is. But when it comes to involving children in matters of state, he kind of feels like no, you that that is beyond the pale. That's my. I think that's the argument that I'm making. Okay, but then another example, it's, it says in this chapter that Ned and Robert had a sort of a falling out, at least briefly, when uh, Tywin or, or anyway, some Lannister killed uh, these Targaryen children at the, yeah, near the end of the, that's right. of the rebellion. The uh, and, young wife and her children. Right. And, and Ned was like infuriated by, mm-hmm. by that. And, and also, you know, I think deeply disappointed, or I can't say deeply, 
disappointed with Robert for sort of approving of that and being glad that those children had been killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, it says he sort of rushed off and he dealt with the rest of the war, which already is kind of like, wait, so you continued to fight on behalf of Robert, this child, this person who approves of killing children. Mm-hmm. And then it says they were reconciled because of their grief, their shared grief over the death of Ned's sister. Right. Um, right, right, right. And I just, when I think about that, when I think, okay, because so, you start from feeling connected to Ned that like, yeah, like me, Ned thinks you shouldn't murder children. And I like that about him. Mm-hmm. And then when you think about, okay, so what if by, one of my By the way, friends, this little moral high ground that you're taking that you don't kill children, <laughs> like it's not impressive. <laughs> no, it's it's not impressive, right? And it's not it's not supposed to be impressive. Yeah, it's no a very one's dark impressed, world. Chad. <laughs> There's a very is a very dark world where you're looking for some glimmer of goodness uh, in someone, right? I mean, everybody feels that way in this story. And and this is like the best that you ever get, I think, is Ned and his position on children. And um, well, anyway, so, uh, so they're reconciled, right? And when I try to relate to that, when I imagine, okay, so what if one of my friends killed children or approved of the killing of yeah. children? And then we were brought back together in grief, would I be able to reconcile with my friend? I mean, I really think it would be hard for me to reconcile. Yeah. I, I think it would be hard for most of us, yeah. right? I'm not talking about Here's the really. difference. I think the difference is, have you lived in a war-torn world where children die regularly and that eventually you have to live, you know, continue living your life? I don't live in that world, and so I feel like I'm I'm probably with you. It's like, look, even if my brother quietly approved of the killing of these Targaryens, I'd have a really hard time aligning with that person again. Right. But that's like that, you know, considering all of the atrocities that were happening in the realm around that time, Ned sort of defaults to this real politic. I don't think he just I don't I don't think Ned lives in this world of black and white honor like a lot of people think he does. Yeah. I think that he is he can be savvy. It's like he gets in his feelings when there's children involved, but eventually he can kind of suppress his feelings again yeah. and yeah. attend to matters of state. The, so you you said before like the idea that you would judge it's wrong to murder children is a really low standard that's it's not impressive. it's not impressive and no, all right and what i'm saying is what i'm saying is initially you might think oh ned at least clear ned alone perhaps in the whole story at least clears that very low bar and then when you realize that no he inhabits this dark world and he too is tinged with the darkness yeah you realize that no he doesn't even really clear that low bar i mean he has some negative feeling about killing children but it's not the same as you and me you're right. That's right. I mean, because he's because he lives in a world where that kind of stuff happens, and he knows that it happens, yeah. and he he finds it all very, uh, very troubling. But he's not going to unfriend Robert on Facebook <laughs> because of because of how Tywin treated the uh, Targaryen kids. Right. Just because Robert approved of murdering these children. Does I mean you still got to have Facebook yeah. friends, right? Well, that's right. You need you need people to approve of you on Facebook. It's it's important, <laughs> <laughs> and and also when you're at war, you'll often get these arguments about well, what is 
what is beyond the pale when you're at war? Because you're always going to get people that be like, hey, man, it's war. You win. You know, there's no real mm-hmm. rules. Mm-hmm. And then you've got these other people that are being like, no, 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 there, there are right ways to fight a war and there are wrong ways to fight a war. And uh, we're not going to become monsters in the process. Right. Uh, and I think that that's always going to be kind of right beneath the surface of any discussion about state-sanctioned violence. That That's my right. sense of it. Although Robert's commitment to killing Targaryen children has extended over decades, you know, decades of peace. He just, he just can't stop reliving this thing that he thinks happened to Lyanna. Isn't it interesting that here's another place where Ned sits there and listens yeah. to him go on about this uh-huh. and doesn't say anything. Ned knows that he's believing lies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Let, tough to do that to your oldest friend, man. Gonna, I'm going to read this little passage here because I thought sure. I, I, clearly it it reads differently once we know you know what happens uh, later. Treachery was a coin that the Targaryens knew well, Robert said. The anger was building in him again. Lannister paid them back in kind and was no less than they deserved. I shall not trouble my sleep over it. You were not there, Ned said, bitterness in his voice. Troubled sleep was no stranger to him. He had lived his lies for 14 years, yet they still haunted him at night. Of course, you know, 14 years. He'd lived his lies for 14 years. You know, we're we're supposed to sort of guess what that means, but of course we know that Jon Snow is 14 years old, right? Yeah. So it, it's one of these times where it just feels super clear in retrospect what Martin is playing with. Ned has been lying to Robert for 14 years. There's no doubt about that. Right. I feel like we're supposed to get the sense that Ned is kind of like tolerated Robert in the South for all that time, but they really haven't been great, great friends in between. Yeah. And it was only sort of this death of, of John Aaron much later that these two brotherly uh, guys are sort of reconnected reconnected because of the loss of their common father figure. What do you think Ned would have Robert do about the Lannisters? Like Ned seems to be concerned about the Lannisters he doesn't like it that Robert wants to give Jamie uh, this position of warden of the mm-hmm, East. Mm-hmm. He's worried that that means that Lannisters will hold the, both the East and the West and that that's too much power for them. He doesn't trust Jamie because of Jamie's, you know, behavior around the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, he, it, it explains that the Lannisters had kind of been fence sitters during the rebellion. So clearly Ned feels like Robert has been foolish about the Lannisters. Right. I think Ned would rather Robert treat the Lannisters like Ned treats the Boltons. Where it's like, yeah. look, let's keep the peace. We'll keep things civil. I don't trust you at all. I don't, I'm not going to marry any of my kids to your kids. Uh, there's going to be a healthy distance between us. Yeah. Because there's too, there's too much treachery in our history. But we'll keep the peace as best we can. And Robert is, I think, in general, King's Landing is more like, well, you know what? It's not a bad idea to marry your your son to your enemy's daughter. That's not a bad idea. Right. Because that actually will keep the peace a little bit. And it may be better to keep your enemies close. That's, that, that is yeah. the kind of thing that 
Robert has been talked into, it seems to me. Yeah, because it was John Aaron's idea that he should marry Cersei. I think so. Well, and and part of me thinks that there's something about Tywin was the able to the one that was actually able to end the war, and so he feels beholden mm-hmm. to Tywin out of a sense of honor. You think? No, I just feel like he's like honor among thieves. I suppose there was a Chad. There was a lot of Tywin in this chapter, even though that there was no Tywin. Yeah. We get a lot of history of, like, Robert's uprising, what happened at the Trident, and then we hear Ned's account of Jamie Lannister. And I was hoping maybe we could talk a little bit about Tywin and Jamie. Sure. You could say that Tywin is sort of the mastermind behind this whole thing. He's playing both sides. He comes in once the, the war looks like it's already been won. And he basically ends up with, no pun intended, the lion's share of the spoils at the end of this whole thing. Yeah. Tywin is the great winner of Robert's Rebellion. Do you think he wants to sit on the Iron Throne? Tywin himself? Yeah. I think he's too smart for that. Yeah. I think he knows that he can... He is so much powerful as a kingmaker than he is a king. I think he knows that. And not many people are wise enough to know that. Yeah. And I think he's playing the long game. And I think eventually he's going to have his grandson on the throne. And that's going to be... That's going to be great. It's going to be great. Yeah, right. Uh, right. I do want to talk a little bit about Jamie. So, Jamie... Um, this is very chaotic. I, I want to point out this is really... Chaotic. The, the the whole conversation. Yeah, this is yeah. true ladder of chaos. I don't even so. think we're climbing the ladder of chaos. I think we're just wallowing in the muck of chaos. I feel like we're on a ladder. It's on fire. We're halfway up. We don't know which way to go. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is awesome. Uh, what what was Jamie playing at? Ned shows up. There are lion banners above the city. Yeah. Jamie is sitting on the Iron Throne with his sword unsheathed on his lap. Do you know the symbolism yeah. of that, by the way? Yeah, that's what the king does when he is judging between different parties that come before him, right? I think that there are there are a number of ways you can hold a sword. I think holding a sword on your lap unsheathed means that you're ready for an adversary to enter the room and you may go to war with that person. Oh, okay. So I that's I my sense that. of it and maybe uh, listeners will want to email in and correct us. But elsewhere in the story I thought that this is what the king does when he's judging a case. Because he might need to use a sword maybe. I don't know. It's a I guess I took it to just be some sort of symbol of authority. So famously what happens when Tyrion is heading back from the wall is he comes back to Winterfell and he finds Rob, and he's like sitting on the dais on the big seat, and he's got the, sh- the sword unsheathed on his lap. And Tyrion notes, mm. like, this is not a very warm welcome. Uh, There's something yeah. in the symbol of having the, sh- the sword unsheathed that suggests, I'm ready to use this thing if need be. Um, you wouldn't do it if, like, you know, someone who was a ally was just walking in the door. 
Right, I see. Um, okay. That's my sense of it, and it could be that I, I'm I'm missing a little bit of nuance there. But does Jamie is Jamie trying it on for size? Is he like, you know what? I could take this. This could be mine. And I th- I think it's important to observe that uh, if I remember correctly, Jamie was 15. Uh, he might have been 17, but he was pretty close. He was pretty young, pretty young, pretty young. And he laughed and lightheartedly sort of brushed off any concern yeah, that yeah, yeah. Ned might have had. I mean, I, the way I would interpret that, if it were you know real life, is I would I would think he's he he's not he's not a very good guy, but he's 15 years old, and you know a lot of 15 year old boys would sit on the throne in that circumstance. Hmm. Uh, Maybe. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know for sure whether to be concerned by it, but I but I guess I lean a little bit toward Robert's reaction as opposed to Ned. The king threw back his head and roared. His laughter startled a, a flight of crows from the tall brown grass. They took yeah. to the air in a wild beating of wings. You think I should mistrust Lannister because he sat on my throne for a few moments? He shook with laughter again. Jamie was all of 17, Ned. Scarce more okay. than a boy. Okay. Boy or man, he had no right to that throne. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's 17. And uh, Robert laughs it off, as Robert should. But in the mo- because it's 14 years later, nothing came of it, right? Right. But in the moment, Ned has a point. Ned's point is much better made by observing that the Lannisters were on the fence through the whole rebellion. Maybe so. And the point being that, you know, who should have killed the king? Should it have been his when a member of his Kingsguard? Probably not. Um, now, we know that there's more to that story uh, later. But from Ned's perspective, when he walks up and he sees the lion banners over the city mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that has got to raise his suspicions because yeah. those should be stags. And then right. he walks in and that room is populated by a bunch of Lannisters. Right. And Tywin's eldest son is sitting on the throne. I think that in that moment, Ned is thinking this has gone South. This is not how Robert envisioned this. And, sure. and we are in big trouble here. Yeah. So, okay. So in the moment I can see how he would have felt that way. That's a good point. Uh, but, but Robert's right that, you know, years have passed and nothing came of it. And yet Ned is right that the Lannisters are clearly, um, not to be trusted. You know, suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah suspicious yeah. group. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, yeah. So this is another one of those cases where I think Ned's feelings are warranted and his mistrust of Jamie Lannister is warranted. He's not very good at convincing Robert of anything. Yeah, he sort of despairs at the end of the he, chapter. He he really feels like he can like Robert feels like he can appear he can appeal to Ned's like boyish hedonism, which is not right. there. Right. And Ned feels like he can appeal to Robert's sort of sense of kingly honor, which clearly is not there. And they yeah. just they just keep missing each other. Right. Yeah. I can't tell one thing I can't tell about Robert is you know, he's asked at a certain point, uh, I think Ned asks him, like, aren't you concerned to give um, 
one man right in the future namely Jane, yeah, yeah, yeah control of the east and the west and and robert says something like well I'll, I'll deal with that when it happens um and i couldn't decide if i thought robert was just is he just being foolish is it like he's just he's just incapable of looking ahead and making plans or is he right to take things one step at a time and he has options i read that whole thing i read the whole thing as if robert has no choice he's in debt to tywin Mm -hmm. and he doesn't know how to get out of it and he doesn't want to tell ned it's like he's too prideful to say actually ned i've been drinking and brotheling my way into a massive debt and tywin has me over a barrel and i really don't have a choice right and he just can't bring himself to tell ned that yeah i think you're right uh and he knows that it's a bad idea he knows it's a bad idea to give jamie lannister anything he hates Mm. the lannisters no one hates the lannisters more than robert yeah um but he just can't stop himself yeah and he doesn't know how to get out of debt so poor robert not poor robert robert's a fool he is a fool but i i i feel that my affection for robert as i've read these chapters has actually increased a little bit i feel sorry for him Hmm. okay well maybe i shouldn't you shouldn't you absolutely shouldn't he (laughs) robert's appetites have plunged the realm into chaos he just doesn't know it yet Think things yeah. look peaceful on the surface. They are they are going to boil over in short order, and it's all it's all because Robert is can't stop himself, doesn't want to be king, and has no no he has absolutely no intention of being a good king. An important introduction in this chapter. Yep, uh, it's the first time we hear about Varys. Is it really? Yeah, okay. so Varys is a really important. Uh, will continue to be very important mm-hmm. by some fan theories is sort of pulling the strings uh, to try to connive with Illyrio to sell the kingdom back to the Targaryens. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, we hear about him for, uh, for the very first time. We uh, book versus show differences, not anything to speak of, but I do have one major gripe with the show. I have a problem with all of these men up north not wearing hats or hoods. <laughs> it's foolish. It's there's yeah. nothing more foolish. You're freezing cold. Yeah. Put on a hood. Now Robert in the book wears a hood. So he may be mm-hmm. a fool, Chad, but he's smart enough to know to put on a hood. Right, right. Maybe they have uh ears that have adapted to the cold and they they maybe if you touched their ears they, they would just be nice and warm nope nope look at, even look at garrett very early on both of his ears are frostbitten oh yeah good point they're fools these men are these these <laughs> men who won't put on hats or hoods are fools and they deserve all of the frostbite that is visited upon them does it say whether they're wearing anything in the book or in the book in the robert show? is wearing a hood Okay. And so, and I for all of his peccadillos, yeah. I doth my cap to Robert Baratheon. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to ride the way a man was meant to ride. 
That's that's what he wants. That's Robert. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off badass season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre, We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was, and those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Steve, have you ever woken up to a dog staring at you? Yes. Does this happen often? No. If it happens, it usually means I'm about to get peed on. (laughs) And the only way that you would know that is? Because I woke up to a dog staring at me, and I'm like, what's your problem? And he kept staring at me, and I'm like, what's your problem? And then all of a sudden, I got real, real warm. (laughs) See, I think Bran is making a little too much of his wolf dreams. He wakes up, the dog's looking at him. Mm -hmm. The dog probably just has to go out. Yeah. And Bran is of the age where, look, man, we all got a wolf inside. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Are you snapping a rubber band? Uh, no, it's a chip clip. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was fidgeting. Think, you think that maybe that, maybe that doesn't help? <laughs> maybe.
<laughs> I don't know what you do on stage with your chip. <laughs> well, see, I have a bunch of. Do you have um, an act? Do you have an act? It's, it, it's it's merch. I'm out there trying to at least get it get it out there. So that's that's actually a thought that I had had because like a lot of times comedians will sell T-shirts, right? And like yeah. people are like, okay, I got a T-shirt. <laughs> I need one more shirt. Other guys will be like, oh, you get these buttons, and I'm like, who's wearing buttons, right? I mean, and I get it. It's got your. But what if I made a chip clip with my website on it? Yeah. Chip clip I mean, would be great. A chip clip combined with a fridge magnet. Exactly. Well, that's what I was just playing with. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? I'm like, look, I don't even have to have a bit about it. In fact, I could have a bit about the fact that I don't have a bit about it. And the best part is, is like, look, you're going to put me on your refrigerator. I gave you useful merch. It's it's a win-win. I would use it. <laughs> I would clip something in there. I don't know what. Exactly. It's just, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> It's the chip clip. Now, if my name was Chip and I was a comedian, that would make yeah. even more sense. Well, Chip sounds like the name of a comic in a sitcom. Yeah. Yeah, Chip is the name of a comic in a sitcom written by people who have never seen stand-up comedy. Uh, all right, so... And his um, nickname, some, for some reason, is Crackers. <laughs> <laughs> like, But you're already Chip. I don't get it. So not a lot of magic, but we do have Bran beginning the episode with a wolf dream. Right. And in fact, we begin the episode with a hearkening back to the the magic that uh, Jon Snow saw. You know, the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He saw they refer, something. They refer to it. We don't see it again. Immediately followed by um, about, you know, a, a little bit of a, hey, man, magic's dead. And Lord Mormont's interesting to me because he clearly knows. He knows about the White Walkers. Yep. And he knows that Craster's been offering his sons as sacrifices or something to the White Walkers. Right. But he's At a minimum, he knows he's killing his sons and it's helping. Yes. And he is more concerned about the wildlings beyond the wall who are humans. So I'm having difficulty understanding Lord Mormont's motives. Yeah. Maybe the monsters are like there's there there are clearly ways to save them, right? And yeah, give, them, give them a baby, and 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 you you get a free pass or whatever. It's oh yeah yeah. You're saying that he's happy with the peace arrangement that they've got, right? So for whatever, like it doesn't even matter. Almost that they're monsters. It's like they're an obstacle that can be averted, and the craster component is just like it's it's a factory. It's a factory mm-hmm. that churns out. A piece with the monsters, essentially. Every single one of those Craster boys was going to grow up to be a dictator. That's <laughs> the greater good. It's yeah, it's maybe more maybe the, the good. maybe the monsters have an incredible private school system, and he's, they're raising these boys up, and they're mm-hmm. becoming great scholars. And we don't know. <laughs> I mean, not yet, anyway. I didn't see one eat a baby. Uh, all right, so here are the characters we don't see in this episode. I, that was that was to me that was one of my bigger takeaways on this one. Mm, all right, tell me more about this. Well, I you know okay, Joffrey is mentioned, but we don't see him, which is a blessing. A blessing you know, because sometimes concealed beauty is more. <laughs> no, no, it was an episode where where even even with swords going through children's necks, I was like, oh, but at least it's no Joffrey face. No Danny and the Dothrakis. Yeah, I think that that was probably good because there's nothing happening over there. Right, and I appreciated that. I, from a production standpoint, I'm like, look, I mean, unless you, there's a breakthrough. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's Their lips are chapped. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, let's move on. That's again, kind of this- an interesting move because I think that, I mean, this is certainly an ensemble cast, but 
Danny seems like a singular character uh, amidst the ensemble. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's only anecdotal linkage at this point. Like it, just about everybody else has some direct crossover, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No Rob, no Jamie. Yeah, yeah. Which is okay. I mean, I still feel like there's a lot going on this episode. Yeah, this this episode is a, feels like a necessary movement. I could see how some people maybe weren't super into it. I mean, it, there's there's some action, but not to the same degree right the action that's feels inevitable. interesting i was wondering that too i was thinking hmm this is a little bit uh you know move the chess pieces around sort of thing but rotten tomatoes 100 100 really yeah wow um i mean they're all pretty high right but uh this is really high for, this is really one that, high when really? you yeah, especially because like yeah they said there's not the the action sequence that happens you know on the the road to the wall essentially is um it does feel inevitable. There's nothing about it that seems terribly surprising. It's it's dramatic. Well, Maester Pycelle gets his beard chopped off. Yeah, he does. That whole, I mean, the Tyrion sequence where he's got all three of yeah, that's yeah. that's good stuff. Yeah, he's got a little canary trap going with the members of the small council, and it's good for multiple reasons obviously is like he unearthed the mole right object number mm-hmm. or you know priority number one but priority number two also says hey, you guys consider yourselves pretty sneaky and that's kind of like your that's your jam yeah he's sort of putting them on notice each one of you thinks you're smarter than the other especially me uh i got you yeah yeah baelish is just like like so he's just kind of going through the list of like things that are not going to happen now that uh (laughs) just i'm not gonna get a castle Mm. (laughs) Mm. Tyrion's just imp spreading and just like no nope not so much (laughs) just so good and uh the exchange where he says cut off his manhood and feed it to the goats yeah (laughs) and timid says there's no goats well, make do. <laughs> it's so it's so good. <laughs> Dinklage just continues to hit every note, just yeah. perfectly. Yeah. Anyway, you have a lot of like the 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 sense uh, uh, subplot is is getting just more and more bleak. <laughs> oh, Sansa. Yeah. Yeah. She. she there's no way out. I mean, no, it's, it's, that one is, it's, it's of all of the ones that like, like that, that feels like it has the least amount of hope associated with it. Well, juxtaposed with Arya too, because Arya is clever enough to say, look, you want a Gendry, you knew you were looking for a bull helmet. You already got him. Yep. There he is. So she's clever. She's thinking on her feet. She's brave. I mean, right. and what does Sansa have? She's got she's got nothing. She's she she's browbeating her maiden. Right. <laughs> That's all she's got. That's all she's got. And Cersei is just putting her in the in the worst. I mean, it's it's a, it's just the punishing the Stark family. Yeah. Sort of by proxy, right? This is her Jamie Lannister hostage at this point. Mm-hmm. That's and right. it's the only bargaining chip she has at the moment. And the intent is, of course, you get Arya. And now you have it's two to one. And then you see Cersei. How little power Cersei actually has, because. She has no say over whether her daughter goes gets married yeah. off. Yeah, that was that was an interesting moment, right? You're like, well, why would that be the case? That's such a fascinating notion too. It's how, again how upset she is. She's flailing about that. You know, how could you do this to my daughter? Meanwhile, she has no problem doing that to Sansa. That's right. And I think there's this line that 
Varys delivers, which George Martin has said is one of the most important lines in the book. And he says, power resides where a man believes yeah. or where men believe it resides. Yeah, it's such a great follow up to knowledge is power. Power yeah. is power. And and this sort of deconstructs because one, one was like knowledge is power. Like you kind of get on board with it. Like, oh, yeah, I guess that's it. And then power is power and sort of deconstructs that notion then this one deconstructs it further and just says look it's all a ruse and it kind of shows you that earlier on when the small council really believed that cersei was in charge nothing like this was going to happen but what Tyrion's canary trap did is basically he said look i send one member of the small council to the wall and of the three remaining only one was loyal to you so clearly most of the people think that the hand of the king is more powerful than the queen regent at this point. And she realizes she's lost. Yeah. There's nothing she can do about it. And I think it's sort of like, it's the fear of her father because she probably knows that her father is going to support whatever Tyrion says at this point. Right. Yeah. Especially because of the decisions that have been made on her watch Mm -hmm. and what happened. Right. I mean, ultimately the beheading of Ned Stark has sort of set this whole thing into motion and it didn't have to. And regardless of whether Joffrey was acting on his own impulses, she was the one with the most experienced. She was the one with the perceived power at that point. Mm-hmm. I like that the um, the ripple effects of Ned's death are still being felt. I think with a lot of shows, it'd be like, well, that was the finale of season one. We're moving mm-hmm. the plot on season two. But you're sort of seeing the ripple effects both with Sansa and with Arya. You know, Arya's Little Miss Brave, but... That conversation she has with Yorin sort of reveals she's still she's still a little kid. She's still yeah. grieving her father. She still doesn't know what to do about her bad dreams, all of that business. Yeah, and it's a complicated episode, as as most of them are. We finally see um the fifth king. Uh Renly, yes. So we got yeah. Renly and Renly's got problems because <laughs> Yes, he does. <laughs> uh you can kind of see that he's sort of a man of the people. People like him. Mm-hmm. He's got something that a lot of the other kings don't have, and yet he's having trouble making a baby, Steve. Yeah, yeah. One thing we know, he's not bi. He's that he's out. really repulsed by Marjorie. Yeah, totally. And um, I mean, and she's not great looking. I mean, if you think about it. Yeah, she's fine. She's no Joffrey, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. All right, so um, we're introduced to two new, very important characters, Marjorie and Brienne of Tarth. Yes. And Marjorie, boy, she's playing the game. She is politically savvy. She's, yeah. She doesn't care about taboo. She's like, my brother can get you started. Yeah. She is calculating. And, and then, of course, Brienne, who she is all muscle. Yeah, she's all about it, too. <laughs> Part of it, I can understand, you know, there's a... There's obviously a gender role concept here. And then, you know, and I think it's even more fascinating with Renly as the king in this particular situation, right? I mean, if there was ever a king that would on at some level be like, yeah, let's get weird. Right. Uh, it's Renly. But yeah, I think going back to what you're saying, like Renly does have, he has the people. He seems to be having a well, good that's right with them. And he doesn't, they, have mu- he doesn't have much in the way of like an official claim to the throne. But he's sort of a cult of personality at this point. So they're all rallied around this charismatic personality. They see him as somebody worth following. But what I don't know yet, is he a leader? You know, a lot of leaders don't get 
people to follow him unless they're doing it with brute force or fear. But he has the ability to lead his people. But does he have the capability to lead? Well, and part of the capability is creating the political veneer of having an heir. Mm -hmm. And using that political veneer to create an alliance with another very wealthy family, which seemingly he has done this. Right. But the longer that Marjorie remains unpregnant, (laughs) it's hard to keep the veneer up. Right. All right, let's run through these kings. All right, so we got Renly, we've got Balon, we've got Joffrey, we've got Rob, and we've got Stannis. And your homework was to choose to back one of these kings. Mm-hmm. Who do you think has the best chance? Uh, and then we're looking at them as individuals, assuming there's no... They've got assets. Up. You know, they yeah. all have different assets. Renly's got the larger army and... Joffrey has possession of the throne. He's got Tyrion on his side. Yeah, I, and that's where I go with Joffrey. You're going with Joffrey. I'm going with I know Joffrey. How much this must hurt you. Oh, absolutely. I go with Joffrey because I'm going with Tyrion. Right. Because I think that that's an advantage that none of the other kings have. Because if you look at who's in the ear of most of these kings, mm-hmm. um, it's like so with with Greyjoy. There's really nobody in his ear. He's he is sort of self. Oh, he's calling his own shots. Right? He's self-managed, and he's motivated by. He's not a big picture leader in that regard. Renly, um, I mean, he's got all of the people. He's got the leadership, but he's also just Renly's got a whole slew of Renly issues that he's going to have to get through before he. Can he does win. have a big uh, like. Normally, the biggest army wins. I sure. just in general, that's what happens. But if they don't know what they're doing, or they don't know what their mission is, right? It, well, that and becomes what, a problem. What Catelyn says is that you've got a big army, but these are just boys playing at war. Right. There's something yeah. against going against these, you know, hardened men of the north who have Yeah. And and then so then you've got you have Rob, and I think Rob is probably the most noble. But we've seen what nobility gets you. You know, if you're just uh-huh. If you're just moved by nobility, right? So, so far, until this episode, everything that Rob has done has turned up gold. Mm-hmm. Right? He's won all the battles. He's captured Jamie. They've crowned him King of the North. And eventually, he's going to make a mistake. And it looks like he has because we have that scene where Theon is going to write this letter alerting Rob of his father's treachery or whatever. Right. And he ends up burning the letter. Yeah. So that is a clear signal that, okay, you trusted Theon, and that is going to come back and bite you now. Well, and that's kind of Ned's thing, right? I mean, Ned mm-hmm. Ned was a champion for, um, look, if we all just do the right thing, we'll be fine. Yeah, right. And and that didn't work out, right? So so that's why I can't side with Rob. Um Stannis, we didn't see Stannis at all. This didn't see Stannis this episode. I think, I mean, Stannis is your, he probably has the best military option, like all together. Um, yeah, because he's got the ships and he's a mean old son of a bitch. Yeah. He's got, a, he's got this uh, magical lady that's helping him. Which is also, that goes to the, the, the who's in his ear, right? So when you ask me who were the five kings, I mean, I'm almost looking at this more along the lines of this is King Tyrion, potentially. Um, and that, and that's mm. a king 
that I think at least in terms of if we're going to be five different factions, he's got the money, he's got, he's got home field advantage. He's got um, strategery. And he's got strategery. And so there's, that's the element that, uh, like to me, Joffrey's not really the one I'm siding with. So you're going with Joffrey. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Okay, so you're on the record here. So we're going to see. We're going to see how well you do over the next couple seasons. This and we'll. Good. All right. Well, we will revisit this conversation. So that'll give us something to look forward to. For this week's bird's eye view, I want to talk about the most words per character in a Game of Thrones. And with this, I'm relying on a Reddit post by a Redditor named username123. Here, I'm going to list the most loquacious characters in the first novel in terms of words spoken, and I will round to the nearest thousand. Now, if you want the exact figures, go ahead and click that link in the show notes. Okay, so here goes. Number one, words spoken, Eddard Stark, 12,000 words. Next, Tyrion Lannister, 9,000. Catelyn, 7,000. Robert, 6,000. Jon Snow, 5,000. Peter Baelish, 5,000. G.R. Mormont, 4,000. Varys, 4,000. Rob Stark, 4,000. And Danny, under 4,000. So, here's a few observations. I don't usually think of Ned as all that chatty. But perhaps the Sean Bean iteration of him is holding sway in my mind, I suppose. By far, Ned dominates the first novel in terms of words spoken. Now, of course, it should be said that the importance of a character cannot be measured by words alone. For example, that Danny is 10th on this list with under 4,000 words spoken is not necessarily that revealing. There's no doubt that she's represented with fewer chapters, but within those chapters, her interior thoughts are more prevalent than her dialogue. And I think you could say this for a number of characters. Second observation. It's not surprising that Tyrion is in the top two. In fact, he's in the top two of dialogue in every book of the series that are published so far, with the exception of A Feast for Crows. I also found it interesting that in each of the five published books, each one features a different character at the top of the word spoken list. So here are the order, all right? So A Game of Thrones is Ned, as we already saw. A Clash of Kings is Tyrion. A Storm of Swords is Jamie. A Feast for Crows is Cersei. And A Dance with Dragons is Jon. So in each book, different character gets top billing, I suppose. Final observation. If you look at the top 10 for the first novel, it's noteworthy that at least six of these foundational characters will die before the end of the series. We know that Ned, Cat, Robert, John, Gior, and Rob are going to bite the dust. And depending on your view of Danny's plotline, you could add her to the list too. Or think of it this way. If you look at the top five on this list... Four of the five in A Game of Thrones are going to die. Of course, Martin is going to resurrect two of these characters in some sort of undead state. But it really does, with statistical analysis, underscore Martin's reputation as the Gurm Reaper. 
And that's all for this week.